Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning, everybody, and thank you for listening to another episode of Cinema Files Radio. I'm your host, Steve Pisa, on a beautiful Sunday, September day. Thank you, everybody, for for uh, joining us today. It's a it's a beautiful day outside. It's it's uh, one of those days that's just Filled with stuff. I woke up this morning, did a lot of activities, and then now I'm just clumped to get here and do our radio show. I'm just so happy to be here today. I hope everybody here had a great week. Now, Blog Talk Radio is going through a couple changes right now through their um, architecture of their programming and what have you, so we might be on and off along the way. So I'm trying to correct the problem along the way. So thank you very much for joining us today on Cinema Files Radio. We have two excellent guest today. We have Genevieve Gearhart. She's been in a lot of stuff. We'll get on her really soon. Genevieve Gearhart was in When the Fever Breaks. She was also in, in a producer on a film called Food Trucks, which I really want to talk to her about because there's a great actor in that film that I really want to talk to her about. She's also in, in, in a short documentary called The Shape of, of an Empire, which is fantastic. There's a lot of things to talk to her about. And we have Noel Vega on. Noel Vega is very well known in the stunt industry. I mean, he's done almost every stunt on the planet Earth. He's a producer. He's produced left from right. He's done second unit directing or assistant directing. And one of my favorite shows, and I'm not afraid to say this, which is Happy Endings. I love Happy Endings. It's a great show. He's a production manager on Q for Death, Green Flash, Stanton on Dry Salt Lake. We have a great show today. Thank you very much for joining us today. It's going to be a pleasure. It should go by really fast. For the first hour, we're going to have Jennifer Gearhart. For the second half, we're going to have Noel Vega. If you don't like listening to two hours of radio, well, you know which hours to listen to. Thank you very much for joining us today. My host, your host today is uh, Steve Pisa. That is me. You can find me on akfcolorado.com. Also on Steve Pisa on Facebook, you'll find me at Academy of Kung Fu, as well as Steve Pisa as being a writer. I am both a Kung Fu teacher as well as a writer. I've owned a Kung Fu te- school for, what, 14 years now? I've been doing martial arts for 26 years, teaching professionally. I've been a writer for, since I was 18 years old, so it's all 25 years. So I've been writing for a very, very long time and, and uh, teaching for a very, very long time. Novels are my are my dream, are my, are my thing, and, and scripts are a great thing as well. Kind of easy for me, to a certain extent, if you have the motivation. But books are just amazing. So usually at this time, we talk about what are our favorite shows. What are our shows that we like to watch? 
What kind of cinema do we like to watch? What have you seen? Our, our guest phone call today, we have a lot of guests listening right now. Our guest call in is 657-383-1444. Please call in. I would love to hear your voice. I would like to hear your opinion on what you think of these new shows that I like and some shows that I hate. Uh, I don't like the word to use hate, but in these aspects, I, I will use it. <laughs> so let's listen to the first show that I've, that I've binged watched through Netflix and I just adore. BoJack Horseman. <laughs> I love BoJack Horseman. So let's listen to a, a little summary. Meet the most beloved sitcom horse in the 90s and and 20 years later, Bojack Horseman was a star of a TV hit show, Horsing Around. But today he's a washed up, living in Hollywood, complaining about everything, and wearing colorful sweaters. And it stars Will Arnett, Amy Sedaris, Allison Brie. It's got a great cast. It's an excellent show. It's animated. Will Arnett plays a horse. It's a fantastic show. I adore it. I love it. So if you like shows like Wilfred that's kind of subversive, then you're going to like this. If you like shows like House, MD, you're going to like this show. It's very subversive. It's very selfish, self-centered. The Mindy Project is a good, a good example as well. I think the Mindy Project is a bit narcissistic. I do like the show a great deal. I love her as an actress. But it is a bit narcissistic. It is about her. So I love that show. I love it. So BoJack Horseman, I dig this show. So it's on, it's on Netflix right now. You can binge watch all your episodes or string them along. I wouldn't. I'd just watch them all I want. The BoJack Horseman is an excellent, excellent show. Let's go on to another show that I binged watched on Netflix that I just adored, which was House. I just finished the eighth season. So now I can firmly say what I believe about the show. So the show is really Sherlock Holmes in a hospital. That's what the show is all about. He's addicted to puzzles. He's addicted to Vicodin. At least that lasts for a certain amount of time. He's addicted to being a narcissist, even though it doesn't end that way. And spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it yet, this is an old show, so you should probably see it, in, see it ending. Uh, but the ending of the show was, was fantastic. I really liked it. And, and only hipsters will say they didn't. I didn't like it. I wasn't satisfied. I was satisfied. It did everything it needed to do. It gave him a certain amount of redemption. It also gave him a four progressive personality as well as storyline. And I like that. Instead of just killing him. So I guess I spoiled that for you tonight. Hmm. But House MD started in 2004 to 2012. It has eight seasons. And I would say that it changes around the sixth season and there's something brand new. Uh, it does have the same formula. But, you know, Hugh Lowry is an excellent actor. Omar Epps. Uh, you'll see the full cast if you check him on IMDb. But, but uh, Hugh Lowry is English. A lot of people think he's American. He's English. does an excellent job on this show. It's brilliant. The House MD, please binge watch that. Bojack Horseman, House MD. Watch it now. Watch it now. Because it ended in 2012 and you're still getting President Obama as president. Meaning it's still relevant to pop culture today. So watch it today before it gets into the area of it no longer relies or applies to your life or your lifestyle. And not even your 15-year-old is going to understand what the heck's going on. So BoJack Horseman, I love, I love uh, House MD. I love, 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 love. Well, let's watch, let's listen to a show 
that I don't, I don't love, 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 love. A show that's good, but not great. Um, kind of like McDonald's. McDonald's is pretty good. I like it there. Not great. So Alphas is a show that you can watch right now on Netflix. It is a sci-fi original. It was created by Michael Carnell and Zach Penn. It starred David, uh, David uh, Stratham. I really can't see these. It's a very difficult name. Warren Christie, that's not a difficult name. Ryan Cartwright. Here's the issue with the show, Alphas, that started in 2001 and ended in 2012. Here, here is my issue with the show. It's not very good. That's that's my answer. It's not very good. It reminds me a lot of Heroes, where it sets you up for something grand and then just lets you down. This is one of four Canadian shows that I've tried to watch that are just... It just really feels like Americans went in, filmed the show, and then abandoned it. That's what it feels like. Because it's absent of soul and personality. And Even though when you watch... And I do recommend you watch the show... Don't don't listen to people and their opinion. Opinions are like armpits. They usually have two and they usually stink. But if you do watch the show, it's the second half of the second season that you will like. It's a it's a good show going off there. But I will say this. They ended the show with a preconceived notion that there would be a three, third season. And if you see the end of the second season, that's the worst way in the planet Earth to end a second season or any season of a show not knowing whether you're going to have a comeback or not. And I'll tell you how it ends. Basically, everybody falls down and essentially looks dead. And you don't know what happens until the third season, which is never going to happen because now it's canceled. See, this is what I do not like about the pilot world. The pilot world obviously does not have any faith in shows like Dollhouse by Joss Whedon. They do the first season. They do it with film. It's an okay season because it's a pilot show and he's thinking he has five seasons left. Second season, they say, we're going to cancel the show. He says, how about we do it on videotape? They say, fine. If we do it on digital, we'll let you go. We'll give you half the amount of money and we'll go. People feel passionate. They stayed on the show. The show even got better. What do they do? They cancel the show. That's a just shows you Joss Whedon's world. And what did Joss Whedon do? Joss Whedon went off to make one of the best superhero films ever made with the highest grossing uh, uh, income of any any superhero film ever created, The Avengers. Now Avengers 2 coming out this summer. A lot of people don't also realize that he, that he penned the uh, Wonder Woman script for, for DC Comics. And they fired him from that project, by the way, right before Avengers. I'm sure they're kicking themselves in the tuckers for that one. But it's amazing to me. So when you watch Alphas, it looks like this could be Chronicles, you know, the movie Chronicles. This could be a number of excellent shows that turn into something special, but it doesn't. It doesn't go anywhere. Huge disappointment. So Alphas, Alphas, I would watch it. I would definitely watch it. Is it good? No, it is not good. Will you be wasting your time? No. You won't be wasting your time. Is it fantastic? No, it is not fantastic. So, here are, the, here are the three shows that I really like right now. House MD. Love it, love it, love it. Love House MD. I love... Um, 
So I got House MD. We have Alphas, which I don't really like all that all that much. And then we have uh, then we have um, what's another show I like? Ah, it doesn't matter anymore. Anyways, I've also been binge watching Battlestar Galactica as well. That's a fantastic show. If you've not watched Battlestar Galactica, you must get on that show. As far as movies out right now, there are no movies out right now. There's nothing I've seen out in the movie theaters right now that is worth watching. So we can very much skip next week and go on to next on to the next. All right, we have a fantastic guest today. Genevieve Gearhart is going to be on right now. We're going to have a nice conversation with her. Let's welcome the fantastic, the amazing Genevieve Gearhart. Hello, Genevieve, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you doing? Fantastic. Thank you. I'm so glad to have you on. We've been wanting you on for the past couple of weeks when the rest of the cast was on, when the fewer breaks, but uh, we've had some uh, other projects happening along the way. I'm so happy to hear. Yes, I've been I've been very busy, but I'm really glad to be here today. Well, you know, any actress or actor that is busy is a fantastic thing for us. So let's, yeah. let's get started. So, so you're 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 not born in LA, which is which is an amazing thing. You're born in Pennsylvania, right? I was. I was born right outside of Philadelphia. My whole family wow. is from there. Mm-hmm. Oh, fantastic! And then from from Pennsylvania, you moved to New York, which is a very typical thing for a lot of models to do and, and a lot of people going to plays and operas and what have you. So was that one of your choices when you moved from, from Penn to uh, to New York, or was that not even a fraction in your mind? Well, you know, I think that I was always interested in acting growing up. Um, I was kind of a performer from the start. Uh, but when I was little, I was actually a figure skater. So I was I was spending a lot of time as a competitive figure skater and my my parents moved around a lot when I was little and um New York was a really great place for my father working but also for me to train as a figure skater and so we moved there I moved around a lot but you know I ended up going back to New York for college and it was really important to me to be in that city I think it's an amazing city and it very much shaped the person that I am but also the kind of actor that I am, too. Oh, that's fantastic. So competitive uh, ice skating, were you going towards the Olympics? Were you going towards competitive figure skating? What, what, what level were you looking for in that in that avenue? Well, so when I was in high school, I was pretty seriously competitive, and I had a choice around my junior year when, you know, most kids are thinking about, well, you know, what college am I going to go to? My choice was, are you going to go to college or are you going to train for the Olympics? <laughs> and so I had, to, right. I had to really think about that. And um, the summer before, I decided, you know, I need to explore some other options before I make that choice because that's kind of a lifelong choice. <laughs> and um, right. I asked my parents, you know, I'm really interested in theater and acting. Is there any way that I can take the summer off from ice skating? And uh, try out try out acting for the summer, and they let me do that. And kind of after that, that made my decision really tough. And so I ended up, you know, falling in love with acting. And I said, you know, I I think I wanna I wanna go down this route. And my parents, you know, they were a little disappointed <laughs> at first. And um, you know, they said, okay, you know, what? if you go to college, if you go to college, you can study acting in college. 
we'll, we'll give you that. If you're not going to go down the figure skating route, why don't, we, why don't we try that and see what happens and get a degree, but also continue to study acting while you're there. And so that's, that's what I ended up doing. I kind of chose acting over training for the Olympics. It was a very tough decision to make as a 17-year-old. <laughs> right. That sounds that sounds fair. I mean, they gave you they gave you the out. They, they said go to college, at least go to college, and if the acting budget yeah. sticks with you, then stay with it. So that's that, that's that's kind of compassionate compared to other parents who say, you know, if you take up acting, you're no child of mine. <laughs> <laughs> Yet they want to go yeah, out was, and see as many movies as possible. Good. Yeah, it was it was rough at first. I think that they were really nervous about it, and I think it took a couple of years, and then when they would come to see me, I was doing a lot of theater and they, I think they came to a couple shows and they really saw how happy I was. And I think they also saw that it, it was something that suited me and that it was the right choice. And it was really interesting as a figure skater. I was the, the skater who I wasn't the best at jumps and kind of the, the physical level. I was, I was good, but I wasn't the best, but you know, all the moms are, kind of standing off off the ice watching their kids. And I was the kid who all the moms were like, oh, your daughter, she's a beautiful performer. You know, so there was something even then that what I liked about figure skating was the performance aspect, the listening to the music and kind of telling the story of, of the music and figuring out a way to make it a more artistic endeavor, not, not necessarily about, the jumping and the spinning. So I was kind of always out of place in that world in a way. Right. You know, that's interesting because with figure skating, you need a certain amount of ballet and grace mm-hmm. and and performance. And it's so beautiful. That's why it's captivated so many Americans. I and mean, when we watch the Winter Olympics, that's the number one thing we watch is yeah. figure skating. When you were figure skating, did you did you get a sense of drama or a sense of uh, of um, stardom? That because you you have lots of people watching every movement you make, opposed to acting, they don't do that. But in in yeah in figure skating, they watch everything. Did how did that work out for you? And, and did that translate into acting later on? I think so. I mean, I definitely feel like figure skating has influenced my style as a performer, for sure. I do a lot of, um, you know, I I have a very heavy theater background, and so um, I also have a pretty heavy dance background. And there's something about it. I really feel like I learned how to be an actor originally from skating. It It is about the whole package. It's about, it is kind of about creating a character. Every Every year, you kind of get a different program. That's what they call it. You know, you have new music. It's a different routine. And to me, everyone was a chance to tell that story. And so it was always about creating this this movement and this combination of, of dance and character. And, you know, doing it on ice is, is difficult. It definitely also gives you um, some discipline, <laughs> I would say. Right. It, is, it is a very strenuous sport. It's requires a lot of hours and dedication, and I think that has translated in my acting career as well. Well, ice skating is, ice skating is intense, and it is incredibly hard, difficult art form. And I can see how the transition going from ice skating to acting would be there, very much there, 
especially when you when you think about all the discipline that you need, all the work that you need to do, the waking up early, the no complaints, mm-hmm. the continually training, somebody watching you. But here's the question. Coming from Penn, Pennsylvania, and my best friend comes from Penn as well. I mean, he's a painter. I, I, I don't see how the acting bug could kick in somewhere in Penn, but I would like you to explain that to me because coming from L.A., I was born in L.A., and I'm a first-generation American. You're in, we were influx with movies because you're you're living in Tinseltown, basically, what you want to call it. But when you live in Pennsylvania, what is what is your your modus operandi? What, what, what focuses you into that area, whereas in children in other areas, they're, they're just stimulated by that world? Yeah. You know, I really think it all had to do with my parents, and, and my mother especially. She was really mm-hmm. interested. I have a, a brother who's just a year younger than me, and so she really was dedicated into providing us with um, artistic outlets. So she she wanted us to experience right. um, art as much as possible, So that whether that was taking us to museums or seeing theater or hearing concerts. She wanted to give us kind of a very a broad exposure to the arts, and I think that's kind of where it started. We both, we're both artists. He is a musician. And so um, I think it, that's where it comes from. Not necessarily where we were, but but her and, and, and kind of encouraging us to be well-rounded people and see as much as possible and have all these influences. And, uh, you know, we were also close to New York. And my, my mother liked seeing theater. And uh, so we we would go into New York to see plays. And, you know, as a child visiting New York City and going to Times Square and seeing that world, I mean, that was something I think I knew from a pretty young age, I need to live here at some point. And so I think I think that's what what drew me in at first. And then that, that you know, starting to do theater and acting, you know, you, then you start to see movies and film. And you think, like, great, theater is wonderful, but there's also this whole other world. And so I wanted, I kind of wanted my hand in both. <laughs> I wanted to try both out. Right. And, uh, you know, I was I was on the East Coast, so I did much more theater there. But, you know, part of moving to L.A. was definitely about trying this other world. You know, you know what's interesting is, uh, you know, I've interviewed lots of women, and what I find from a lot of the women out there is that they had strong male. I'm not saying that males are the one who motivate you. Trust me. But what I'm I'm saying here is that I'm seeing a trend here that a lot of the female characters out there that I admire or that I see as very strong women had had strong support by their family, if not by their father being a male figure as well. Would you say that that's true? Yeah, I mean, my my father was uh, he was a great support system. Um, he he's he's no nonsense. You know, even when I was figure skating, he was definitely the one. He was there to congratulate me, but also to kind of keep pushing me forward. He's a great motivator. So he's he's always told me like it is, and I I feel like I can trust him for that. He'll tell he'll come see a show, and if he doesn't like it, he'll be like, eh, you know, there were things you could work on, and he'll tell me. So and when I get a compliment from him, I'm like, wow, okay, I know I did my job. When he when he sees me in a film or sees me in a piece of theater that he enjoys, it's kind of like the best feeling in the world. He's this person who's seen me grow up, and you know, it was it was a tough path. I I chose two That's things awesome. that were very difficult, but 
you know, he was definitely a strong, strong supporter for me. Right, right. So you so you had that support system for you. Would you suggest that, that that is important for other people as well, actors coming up, actors coming up from different states or what have you, to have that same? Should they be looking for that support or should they be looking for a support system? I think so. I think it's so important to have a support system. It's a really difficult business and it's it's hard. And I, I think whether that's your family, whether that's finding an actor that's been in the business who can help guide you, find a mentor, just someone that you can go to when you're when you're kind of standing there saying, I don't know what to do next. Someone who can kind of guide you along a path, I think, is very helpful, whether that path be about the business or it be about the artistic, you know, the artistic value, saying, I have this character, I'm not sure how to get into it, have someone to kind of go to to say, you know, this is, why don't you try this? Take a look at this. Um, I think... That is so important. That's kept me going so many times. I've gotten great advice from actors, older actors that I've worked with, that it, it, it's they've opened up doors for me. They've given me little tidbits that have, have taught me so much. And I think, you know, it's, you always need that shoulder to lean on. Nice. Well, let's go on to some of, some of your, your newest work coming up right now. Well, one of them is being Food Truck, and you produced this. And what's interesting about Food Truck is that it stars uh, George Garcia from Lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, which, that which was a really... Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, please, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. Uh, oh, I was just going to say that was a great, great project to work on, and he was especially wonderful to work with. Uh, to watch him work, that's that's another one of those examples of kind of just being able to step back. And, you know, I loved him in Lost. I thought he was amazing. I loved that show. I loved watching him in that show. And then to be able to see him in person on set and see kind of his approach and what he does and watching him work. As a a young actor, um, it was really interesting and I learned so much just just watching him and and seeing yeah. what he what he brought to the table and how he kind of did little things that really kind of sparked the character. Right, that's that's amazing. I mean, he's been he's done so many projects. Uh, Food Truck was directed by Michael Roud and writer is Scott uh, Fuller. Uh, stars uh, George Garcia, Lindsay Wolf. Uh, uh, Bill Idrisi, and check it out on IMDb, Food Truck, uh, 2014. It's a, it's a TV movie, comedy. Uh, I, I, enjoy, I saw it on YouTube. I, I very much enjoyed what, what I'm seeing so far. I wasn't able to see too much. But uh, George, I love George Garcia. I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan of his. Uh, I'm a huge Lost fan. Um, Charles Hoyes is also in it, Phil Idrisi, as I said before. So you produced this film. How did that come along? Well, Michael and I had been working together on some other things. He's an amazing director and also photographer. And so he was he had this project that he wanted to do and he contacted me. We're we're um you know, we were working together, we were friends and he was like, I wanna do this, I wanna do it now, it's the right time, you know, Jorge is available, let's let's do this, I need some help and you know, he knew kind of my background um as an actor but also I've produced a lot of theater. 
and um, I've right. had several different theater companies that I've run. And he was like, you know, would you want to try try this out? I could I could use you. And I thought, wow, what an amazing opportunity to kind of see this from the other side. You know, have a whole new chance to to dip my toes into this this other process. And I thought, I think that's really important to be well-rounded and to really know the full workings of, um, right. of film. And so I, I, I couldn't say no. I, and it was a great project with a, a really funny, funny, very funny script. So I'm, I was really excited. So, so you, you, so you produced plays beforehand then before you did, yes. before you did the movies. Mm-hmm. So I had a the theater company. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I had a theater company in New York for several years when I was living there, and um, we mostly produced original work, so off Broadway, new plays by new writers mostly. And then now I have a theater company here in LA, um, and we're called the Speakeasy Society, and we do theater that's not in theaters. So we're really interested in making theater feel not like theater. People are used to kind of like sitting down, watching something. We want people kind of on their feet, immersed in this world. We believe in, you know, we do shows. We did a show in a brewery. We've done shows in homes. And so we're kind of putting a new spin on theater, trying to make it more like, feel like a movie. The acting feels more like you're, you're in the middle of a film or you're kind of playing a video game. Really? So, so how did you get into producing a place? You know, it, it's kind of difficult because I've been part of the play thing since I was I was in college myself. I did plays in high school. But it's incredibly difficult to get in there and start convincing people that you can produce plays, put on plays, put on shows. Did you find that as being a problem between the sexes? Because sometimes it can be an issue between the sexes of, of power struggles and what have you. Did you find that at all in the play industry and in the world of, of acting? Absolutely. You know, the reason why um, originally I started producing theater in New York is because I wanted I wanted roles for women and I wanted to see work produced by women. So it ended up being a company run by women. I think we were we were looking for our place in that world. And we said, you know, if no one's going to give it to us, we're going to take it ourselves and we're going to make it happen. You know, and so we said, great, here, here are four women who are strong and smart and all have ideas of their own. We all did different things in theater. I said, I want to direct this work. And someone said, well, I want to be in that. And someone said, well, I want to produce that. So we kind of took turns, you know, working on each other's projects. And we were a group for about three and a half years. And we produced some amazing things. And it was all about, kind of all stemmed from, you know, if, if things aren't out there for me, I'm going to make it happen for myself. Right. Right. That seems to be the the, the complete attitude of the, the the film industry attitude is if it's not going to happen, I'm going to make it happen. Absolutely. And I, I, I'm a big fan of that. So so let's go on to the Wind and Fever Breaks because this is a, a, a great project. We had the rest of your, your own buddies in here as well as Tommy and Clay as, as well. And I'm trying to get his wife on here, but I understand she's yeah. she's a bit shy. I, I totally understand that perspective. A lot of people I know are the same way. But what were you? What was your experience uh, when when the fever breaks and, and with Tymaine Clay and Lucy Clay? I'm sure that was a very fun project. It looked a lot of like a lot of fun. 
It was so much fun. I loved working on, on this film. I had a great time. And it, it was an emotional roller coaster for my character. So, you know, there were times where I had so much fun and there were times where it was like, oh, okay, this day is going to be rough because it's supposed to be rough. <laughs> and, you know, you have, you have right. a little fun with that too. But um, Taimane and Lucy were absolutely great to work with. I actually didn't know them going into the process. I, I auditioned for them. And from the first moment that I walked into that audition room, I could just tell I, I had a really good feeling about it. They were really, it, it had such great energy walking into that room. And uh, I, I just, from the, from the first moment working with Taimane, he was just kind of so infectious, his, his energy and his passion towards the project. I remember him kind of reading a scene with me at one point in an audition and he got so into it, he forgot that it was over. <laughs> it was, and it was such a, as an actor, it was such an amazing experience. I walked out of that audition, I closed the door and I was like, wow, well, if I didn't get that, at least I had a really good time in that room. I felt really good right. about it. And so I knew, you know, I kind of knew from that moment that if it was going to happen, it was going to be a great experience. Right, right. You know, I the the movie When the Fever Breaks. You know, it, it's directed by Tymaine Clay. It's written by Lucy Clay and Tymaine Clay, and it stars Chadwick Armstrong, who we had on last week, Genevieve Gearhart, who we have on right now, Ryan T. Ranty Husk, who we had on last week, with Dylan Wayne Lawrence and Cruz Malga. We have Sean Paul Piccinino, Violet Smith. We've had them all on the show, and we've had a great time having them on the show. Here, here's my question about when the fever breaks. Because everybody had a different opinion. I liked them all, but what was your perception when you read the script and you're reading about zombies? Well, what stuck out for you as far as it being different or the same or something or, or a genre that you enjoyed? What stuck out for you on this film? I think it really just came down to the characters and their relationships. I was really hmm. I was shocked because you think zombie film, there's a certain, you have certain expectations about what the film is going to be like. And uh, this was so different. And, you know, for me and for the character that I played, it was all about this mother and her daughter and their relationship and, and how she's basically trying to save her daughter and, and make sure her daughter is going to survive this, you know, crazy apocalypse situation. And I'd never, I'd never seen something like that before. And it felt, it was, it was just really interesting to me. It was so different than I expected when I first, when I opened the script, I was like, okay, I know what this is going to be. And then I was, I was really blown away by the, the, the strength of the relationships and the situation and how it was so, it was so human for a zombie movie. It was all about human relationships. And I think that's what makes the film so strong. Are these characters, right. they're real characters who are put in a horrible situation and they have to make some really rough choices. And it's difficult. But I, I, it was just, it really blew me away. What I really like about this movie is that it is split up between the cast of both male and female. Even though Cruz is, is, is a bit young, it does it does split them off as being male and female, and you get to see 
the different um, aspects of how the different sexes respond to a lot of things that are going on. Even though I wouldn't say it's a stereotypical, this is how I feel when a zombie comes after me, feel. But it, it, it definitely, I, I do like the split. In, opposed to seeing a male-centric film or a relationship, like Friday the 13th, where you get a, a relationship-centric mm-hmm. film, right? This film is quite different, where it's more about um, like home invasion to a certain extent, where it's almost like a horror that happens to a particular family. Did you feel the same way when you're, when you're filming the film? Absolutely. I mean, it is. It's this group of, of friends and family that are, are trapped in this house together, and it is. They, they feel like family. I mean, um, the character, right. my character, Sky, and Violet Smith's character, Claire, they've been best friends. They were young, you know, and, and then they're right. put in this situation together, and it's 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 really hard on their relationship, <laughs> very difficult. So you have this group that is so close, and you kind of see what happens when they're getting pulled and, and torn in different directions. So even, it's like the zombies are all on the outside, and you're stuck in the center of this storm with this very close group of people. Right, right. You know, it's very interesting. I'm looking at your at your resume, and your resume actually reflects a lot of my my upbringing in the areas that I that I grew up in. You know, meaning the uh, uh, you know Cal, you went to Cal Arts. Uh, Cal I Arts did, is a very yeah. big school in California. Did you enjoy your stay in Cal Arts? Oh, I loved loved uh, Cal Arts. It was an amazing yeah. experience. Um, that's that's one of the reasons why I came to LA. I was living in New York, and I I was looking for a change, and I, I wanted to study more. I wanted to study acting more, and I was looking at programs, and CalArts, they blew me away. I, I went in for an audition, and I, I was just like, these are my people. I love this place. They, the training is amazing there. They prepare you for this world. They have such a good mixture of film and theater, and experimental training, and classical training. I mean, I the teachers are fantastic. I mean, I got, because of CalArts, the day after I graduated, I was in rehearsal for an amazing show at the Getty Villa, where I worked with Ron Cephas-Jones, who is an amazing television and film actor. Um, it, it was an incredible experience. They've, they've given me so many opportunities. Right, you know, I, I, did you go to the Middlesex University in London? Am I am I correct I, on this one? I went there. That's when I was telling you that I I took a summer off when I was in high school to decide if I wanted to continue figure skating or if maybe I wanted to go um, and down the acting realm. My high school had a study abroad program there, and so that's where I went. I took some college classes as a high school student at Middlesex University and, and got some amazing Shakespeare training. And, and also I got to see incredible theater while I was there. It was, it was a formative wow. experience. It, uh, that's what changed it for me. That's, that's, that's the moment that seems, doing that program. That seems like an insane change. That, that, is, that is an incredible experience. It so was, how did you, how did you mean, go from like... How did you go from London, from going to acting with these brilliant actors, these these actors that are, you know, been doing it for a lot longer than we have. Let's just put it that way. And then you come back to America, 
how do you, how do you, how do you, because I've been to Europe since I was a little boy. My, my, I'm first generation American. So I was able to go to Europe and see plays and operas and all those things and come back to America and go, is this like a student project? What's, what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did, you, did you get a sense of that sometimes? And you, and you, it's kind of hodgepodge. It's, it's a little stuck up, but I, you know, it, it's totally acceptable. You come back from Europe, you see how well they're doing. You come back to America, and you're like, um, "Is this summer stock or something? What's going on here? <laughs> did you feel that, or, or did you just you just have to close your ears and keep on going? How did you feel? I mean, I think that it it just spurs you to keep going yourself. And, and I, I mean, I think that's something for me that I, I saw these amazing actors and I got to work with them and I thought, how can I be more like them? So for me, you know, you, you get stuck in, in, in bad things sometimes, but you kind of can't dwell on that. You need to say to yourself, what can I do to be better? How can I keep improving myself? And so it was just kind of like the bar was raised for me. And I kind of took that right. and I said, great, I know where I'm working, where I'm going. I need to work towards that. Because they are amazing. They all started somewhere too. They were once me, you know. They were they were little old me once, and so I need to to follow in their footsteps and and you know go after what they went after. And you know, I definitely that's another reason why I think I ended up making my own work, and I I just wanted it to be as good as I could possibly make it. Nice. You know, I, I'm looking at your resume, and, and you know, you've got so many. Th- you got so many things going on there. I mean, I'm looking at your plays, and I just, I just love it. The M Game, Big Love, uh, you know, Reconstruction, Relentless Pursuit of the Lady, which were done at CalArts, by the way. The, 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 the Fairy Bug, Rabbit in Blue, and then we go to Edinburgh Festival Fringe. We go to Hotel Del Vere and Gods, and uh, you know, Blue Blue Sky and Lemonation, Midsummer Night's Dream, which. I hate to say it's not my favorite, but but I will watch it anytime I, I can. Mostly because you know I, I've been in play since I was young. You know, as soon as I see that donkey head go on, I'm like, oh my god, this is like my town. I don't want to watch this anymore. That that brings me on to an, uh, a good question. Uh, you know, and you are an actor, so you 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 sort of have to act. Is there any play out there? Because I have my three plays that I despise. Do you have your three plays that you love, 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 love? And maybe one play that mm, isn't your cup of tea. Mm. Well, okay, this is this is very kind of I think it's a little boring, but a play that I absolutely love is Macbeth. And I know it's a very standard answer, but Lady Macbeth, that's it's a character that I've dabbled in. It's a character that as I get older, I'm I'm dying for the chance to play again, you know, at, at the age that she actually should be. And uh, I right. think it's it's an amazing, amazing play. You know, there are lots of plays out there that aren't that great. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that I can pick one, you know, pick one out. But, I mean, it's a thing. Like I said, you sometimes you're, you're in projects that you don't love yeah. or – you know, you, you think we're going to go a different way. And I just, I try always, no matter what it is, to find at least one good thing and say, this is why I'm doing this project. And this, this is, right. I, I'm going to make it worth it no matter what. And so sometimes it's about the people right. that you meet, you know, sometimes it's like, great, I'm doing this horrible thing because I met this awesome person and you know what, we're going to work on a project together. Or, oh, they introduced me to this person, and that's why I was here. So sometimes you got to take the good with the bad. Oh. 
Oh, so so what you're saying is that even if the play isn't your favorite play, as long as you're, you're working with people that you enjoy, it, it doesn't really matter. Cancel is tough. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I've seen some plays that, you know, you thought were going to be really bad, but you get the right group of people together, and it they can blow your mind. You just never know. Yeah, yeah. Have you have you ever have you ever heard of a play called Butterflies Are Free? Yeah. Mhm. I I think you would be excellent in Butterflies Are Free, and you can see it on YouTube today. It was it was um, Goldie Hawn's film based on a play, and it is fantastic. I I think you would be excellent in Butterflies Are, and I have not seen it done in in quite a long time. So oh, I would love you. to see you. So, so you, the last film that you that you basically finished was was Rushkin, and then When the Fever Breaks. What are you looking mm-hmm. forward to after When the Fever Breaks? And When the Fever Breaks is supposed to come right now, it's in post. We're still doing some finishing work on that. Are there any projects coming up soon that you're excited about, or anything you can talk about that uh, you're looking forward to in the future? Right now, most of my projects are theater based, but in the future, film wise. I'm really looking for more roles, actually, that are similar to When the Fever Breaks. I mean, something that was great about that project, I got to do a lot of stunt work. And um, that was something that I was surprised how much I loved doing that. I've always been interested in really kind of strong female characters, kind of, you know, roles. I think about, you know, the lead on Fringe, that, that role, that woman, kind of like detective strong, carries a gun, knows how to fight, but they're sensitive female characters. I'm, I'm really interested in finding more roles like this. I'm so glad to be able to play this, play this uh, character in When the Fever Breaks because that was exactly, as a, as a younger actor, what I'm looking for to kind of develop myself and to kind of develop, you know, who I am as an actor. So I'm I'm really looking forward to kind of people seeing this film and saying like, oh, that's what she can do. I want to cast her in roles like that. Right. Well, I'm going to give out some information real quick. I don't want to stop the interview, but I want to keep on going. But if you want to find Genevieve Gearhart, you can find her on GenevieveGearhart.com. Now, do you want me to put down the phone number because it's on your it's on your resume? Did you want me to put say that as well, or did you want people to find it themselves? I think people can find it themselves on the website if they're interested. In, uh, it's on there. Please find it. Yeah, And then type in Genevieve, period, Gearheart, at gmail.com to, to reach her. You also find her on Facebook. We'll talk about all these in a couple minutes. No, no worries. Uh, I have a couple more questions because, and I hate to do this. I, I, I promise I do. But I have to say things like, as a woman, because today... <laughs> it, it, you know, and, and, and like maybe two months ago, I probably would never have said that. But now, right now, so many women in, in film are being attacked for being women, for just being females or having a female body and doing all these things. Uh, mm. How do you feel about those things go, going further? Because your resume is a plump resume. It's a resume made for people coming from theater, going to TV shows, going to movies, being stars. How do you, how do you feel about disenfranchise or that disconnect between the audience and the actor? And do you think it's going to get worse or do you think it's going to get better? Well, I really hope that it gets better. <laughs> I mean, I can only, yeah. I, you know, I can, I can only hope that it gets better. I, it, it's incredibly frustrating 
and um you know it's 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 a shame i really i really feel like as a society we've we've moved on so much from that it's it's sad to see that that's still happening in this world and i think there are a lot of great strong actresses that are fighting that and who are really trying to say like we this shouldn't be happening anymore we're way, we're way right. beyond that and so you know i look up to those people and i hope to be one of those people one day that can kind of be a positive influence and 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 it's almost like i you know you don't want you don't want gender to be a thing we, we kind of want it to be erased in a way there shouldn't be any difference you know it's it's we should all be equal no one should be being attacked for being a woman it's it's sad but right. i i do think that there are so many amazing examples of strong women in the industry right now that it can only get better right you know it's interesting one of the things that i that i see and one of the things that have been my problem growing up is a lack of faith and i'm not talking about faith in any you know white bearded dude i'm talking about faith in general and, and it has a tendency to make people kind of desperate in their existence, that lack of faith, that I'll make it, that I'm good enough, that people will want me, people will love me, and they make mm-hmm. these very odd decisions. Now, let's just say I'm a, I'm a 13-year-old girl from Pennsylvania or a 13-year-old boy from Pennsylvania, and I'm like, you know, Genevieve, you obviously are going down the route of classic actors. How can I do the same thing, keep my integrity, and... and be a huge star, which which I'm supposing you want to be as well. How can I do mm. that myself? I think, you know, as, as a young actor, the best thing to do is to find an outlet for that. So whether it's finding a class or finding a community uh, a theater to join, to uh, start looking at, you know, acting on film classes. It's about finding a group of people who are also interested in doing the same thing that you're doing and working together. I think that's one thing that is really important in this business is having a community. And I think if you can start that from a young age and you you create the support system that we were talking about earlier. So it's all about kind of following what you love. So if you, if you think you love acting, great. Let's, let's look for a class for you. Let's, let's put you in a play. Like maybe it's doing, maybe it's taking dance lessons, but it's about, starting down that track, finding that place where you can do that, and then going from there. And if you don't have that in your community, there are so many things you can do yourself now. You know, you can decide that, oh, great, I want to learn how to act. Well, maybe I'm going to watch watch some great actors on film and see what they do. And then maybe I'm going to, you know, use my cell phone camera to film a scene. And then my friends right. and I can watch it. You know, if you, you want to act, I want to act. Great. Let's let's take a let's take some scene that's appropriate for learning and try it ourselves. And we can watch it and we can we can look at it. You know, you can show it to a parent. They can help you with that. Things like that. So if you can't get in a class, there are ways to to start to teach yourself. There are also amazing books on acting out there too to read. Let's let's go into if you don't mind. Let's go into a little bit into the sex and drugs for just a tad bit second because. I know that that is an appealing thing. I was a photographer for 25 years, and what I saw a lot from models is they would drink wine or champagne just to, just to chillax and relax. But I found that those models and those actors never really made it very far. But they were 
invited into that universe, invited into that world mm. for them to relax and to meet people and this kind of thing. And they felt like, oh, wow, I'm part of the group. But it didn't seem like that in the end because it just seemed like they've been drinking during a shoot or they've been doing smoking pot on the side. And it, it has tended to send bad messages across. I don't know if it's the same way anymore, but how would you how would you explain to a young person coming to New York, Hollywood, Florida, Chicago, Seattle, any of the big states and big cities in order to make it big in any of their fields? What would you say to them when those kind of fields are plugging them in, pulling them in, saying that this is part of the industry? Oh, we do cocaine when we when we're models. Oh, we drink when we're when we're actors. Oh, we write a lot and they're depressed when we're when we're writers. Uh, how do we get away from those uh, those blocks that stick us in those categories? It's really difficult, I think, for young people going into the industry, and and there are people like that. And you have to say to yourself, that's not going to be me, because it's true. In the end, those are not the people that become successful. I mean, if you look at the people who are really successful, a lot of them are people who are such incredibly hard workers. They are the ones who are constantly going back to their scripts. They are reading. They are they are, are trying to become better actors themselves. They're constantly trying to move forward. So it's, I think, you know, temptation is something that's very difficult to combat. And so you have to tell yourself, okay, great. Someone offers you something so you can relax. You don't want to have to rely on that all the time you don't want you don't want to have to say like oh i need to i need to have a glass of wine before i do this scene or else i'm not going to be good you need to find that within yourself you need to say great what is it that makes will help me relax what can i do do i need to listen to some music is there is there some kind of music that helps me get in the the place of this scene is it about maybe i need to sit alone for a minute and just think about these circumstances but I think anytime you really start to depend on something in order to make you some outside stimulus like drugs or alcohol to fuel your, your artistic career, it, it's leading down a really dangerous path. And it might seem like the right thing at that time, but, you know, I, I've worked with people who have had that problem. And let me tell you, when people find out, they don't want to work with them again. They want to work with the people who are motivated and are happy and are fun to be around. And we all go through some really tough times in this business, but you have to turn to the people that you love and your friends and your support system to kind of pick you back up. And they'll, they'll give you a, a new perspective, and, and they'll be able to tell you, it's going to be okay. You know, turn your head. Turn your head in this direction. There's something good over there. Right. You know what I love talking about people like yourself from from plays and from classical acting is that they're very articulate, and when I ask them questions, it's very clear. You'd be shocked on yeah. how many people I've talked to about these subject matters, and it goes all over the place. Uh, but with, with somebody with classical training, it, it it seems quite simple on how your mindset is. The very forward, progressive mindset. This is... This is the kind of women I love, the Joss Whedon, J.J. Abrams types, where they just work for what they have. They try very, very hard for what they have. They stay positive. And you can of see, those directors, they, 
the, those directors, they use the same people over and over again because they know right. that they are, they are talented and they are smart and they are hardworking people and they, they clearly love working with them. And I think that's, right. that's the kind of actor that we all want to strive to be. Of course, we want people to say, I want to use you again. And you create those relationships and that's, that's pretty amazing. You know, it's, it's funny. It, it, all my life, I've heard people say Hollywood and acting and films are all about people you know. But I, I've said it a little different. I'm, I said it's all about who you know, but who you are as a person and how you behave. Because if someone can, like, you know, um, Quentin Tarantino, a good friend of mine, was his location manager for years and years and years. I mean, you may know him for years and years and years, but if he doesn't like you, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and if you're not likable, he's not going to put you in his films. It's just it's just that simple. I mean, he has you have to be likable. And it's interesting when we're kids, we say things like, "I'm not going to kiss anybody's ass in order to get a job." But it's not kissing anybody's ass. It's just being nice. What do you think? Yep, absolutely. No, I I, I completely agree. And it's 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 about you know actually being real with a person. And and not putting on this fake air of like, oh, you're so great, I, you know, I just love you. It's about creating genuine relationships with people. Because if you're fake about it, you're not going to enjoy it either. You have to both, it's a, it's a two-way street. You have to like that person and they have to like you back. You have to like working together. Right. And that's, I think that's when you find magic between actors and directors. It's not just about like, oh, I'm I'm working with this person because I I have this idea of who they are and I, they're supposed to be so great. It's about having a genuine connection. And I think that's really clear in films. You can see, you can see when the relationship between a director and an actor has been very strong. That's awesome. Well, it was, you're, you're an awesome person. It was, it was a pleasure having you on the show today. I can't wait to see you when the fever, in when the fever breaks. I'll, I'll probably be there for the red carpet, but I can't wait to see you. Then, how can we reach you if we want to reach the, the great Genevieve Gearhart? How can we get in touch with you through all the sources of social media? Well, uh, definitely, you can find me on Facebook under Genevieve Gearhart. You can also visit my website, which is genevievegearhart.com, and you can always find me on IMDb as well. Nice. And you're you're a choreographer. Now, what do you choreo- choreograph? Mostly I do work for theater, for plays, uh, dance, but, you know, I've, I've done a little bit of everything when it comes to choreography. Um, I, you know, <laughs> a lot of funny stuff. I'm, I'm kind of a funny choreographer. I'm not, I'm definitely not like a balletic choreographer by, by any means, but I, my choreography definitely has a sense of humor to it. So a lot of people who are doing comedies will use me either for film projects that need kind of like a strange, funny dance sequence, or uh, I've, I've done a lot of choreography for theater. Right. That's awesome. Well, we're so happy to have you, Genevieve. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, audience, please go to all of her sites. When the Fever Breaks is, is a movie that's coming out very soon. I was I had the pleasure of being involved in it as well. Uh, Genevieve Gearhart, thank you so much for joining us this weekend. Have yourself a very beautiful and pleasant Sunday. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you soon. Have a great weekend. You too. All right, boys. All right, boys and girls, our next guest today will be Noel Vega. We're going to take a small little break. I hope you like reggae. I know you do. Here we go.
Ah, I love reggae. And it has nothing to do with the fact that I live in Colorado. It has everything to do with the fact that I have a Hawaiian wife. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I've loved, I've loved reggae since I was a kid. My, my brother, I remember telling me I was the strangest person he's ever met in my life. I was wearing blue jeans, a Benny Goodman t-shirt. Uh, I was wearing my glasses for college, and I was wearing a, a tam that a lot of Jamaicans wear. And he, he was looking at me like, you are the strangest human being I've ever met in my entire life. That was Tony, my eldest brother. Our next guest today will be Noel Vig. I've been waiting to have him on the show for, for a couple weeks now, and thank God we have him on today. So everybody, let's welcome the great Noel Vega. Good morning. How are you doing, morning. sir? Can't Fantastic. Complain. Oh, we, I'm sorry, sir. Go ahead. Oh, I was making a joke. I said can't complain. Nobody listens. Awesome. You're 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 breaking up a, you're breaking up a tad bit. But uh, we're, we're going to go right into the show because we, we talked about this earlier today because it was kind of hard to hear certain things. But the audience can hear you perfectly fine. But let's start from the beginning. So you've got this gigantic resume here, uh, but you started off fairly young going back to 1997. So you did Once Upon a Time in China and America as line producer. Am I right? Yes, that is correct. That was uh, Jet Li's first ever shoot in the United States. Oh, fantastic. How was that experience? I mean, that was a great movie. Um, I think that was a defining moment in my life because Murphy, as in Murphy's Law, was hyper, super active during that production. So it was um, everything that could go wrong did. And as a result yes. of it, um, when it was a long shoot because it, it was a long feature, so six months after, I was like, you know what? I can do anything now. I think I did everything. In <laughs> so, yeah, right. it was a very good learning experience with um, me having to solve all kinds of problems. So anything that can go wrong will go wrong is what happened on this film. Yes. Unfortunately, um <laughs> We we were shooting in location. We were in Texas, um, and we were shooting outdoors. We we chose right. Texas at the time because there was a drought, similar to what we're having in California. And the yeah. weekend before we started shooting, there was a deluge, and the water levels were back to normal after five years of drought over a weekend. So that's how we started. Wow! Wow! <laughs> And and this is this is not filmed in America. This no, is filmed in where in Hong Kong, right? No, no, we're oh, in Texas. Texas. Yeah, oh this my is like gosh. Said, this is Jet Li's uh, first movie he ever shot in the United States. Yeah, that's incredible. Now you did another movie called Eighteen Fingers of Death, which I've actually heard about. Now, now tell me about this film. This is um, a comedy. Um, James Liu starred and directed the movie, and uh, we had a lot of cameos. It was a little mockumentary. It was a little mockumentary, right? Yes, it was a mockumentary, and yeah. um, it's actually pretty funny. It was a low-budget movie that um, we had, um, like a lot of martial artists come out, do cameos, um, Mark Tocascos, Lorenzo Lamas, um, 
bunch of other people. It was like, um, it was, um, right. it was actually very funny. It's about this martial artist that nobody's ever heard of. Like he's done like a hundred something movies. And, uh, <laughs> he's always in the shadows, you know. Eighteen figures right. of death. I would definitely look it up on on video. Oh sure. And, and anybody, if you want to, if you want to check out the great uh, Alan Noel Vega, you can check out his IMDb very easy, and you go, you'll see so many credits that it'll blow your brains out. Going from actor to production manager to you know second unit director to assistant director to producer to to uh, stunts, which I cannot wait to get into because these are some of your favorite games in the entire planet Earth, and they also make connections to, to people we both know as well. But uh, going going back into uh, maybe second unit directing or or assistant assistant directing is this a, is this a field that you wanted to get into because I noticed that you went into started in 2006 in the in the key and 2014 in happy endings now we're talking about the TV show happy endings right um no actually there was a um, that was a Bollywood movie that starred um, Saif Ali Khan um ah. who's probably like uh, I guess they call him Tom Cruise of India. Or Bollywood. Yeah. Yeah. I love that show, Happy Endings. I, a lot of people I know hate that show to death. But uh, So you start, you start off in, in different perspectives of filmmaking. And then you go on to production manager. You go on to second unit directing. Was directing something you wanted to do? Or was something that you were just pulled into? So far, I think my life has been an interesting journey in the sense that I go with the flow. Um, I did not know I was going to get into the business, um, the film business, that is, until I all of a sudden found myself working for JFK, the movie, uh, working for Oliver Stone, uh, the director. So ever since then, it's kind of like, it's always been, um, okay, what can I learn next? What can I learn next? And that's just what happens. That's awesome. Like producers, obviously there as well. I mean, you, you've produced everything from Once Upon a Time in China to the Wedding Video, going all the way up to Lily, the UFC Personal Trainer, Hilltop Cemetery, Saving Lincoln, Hunting the Phantom, Secret Children, Gin, but always Golden Shoes, A Chance of Rain, Happy Ending, Flex, Certified, which is coming out in 2015. You're a line producer as well as a producer in that movie as well. How do these producer jobs come out for you, or was it? the people that you knew and trusted? A little bit of both. Actually, my favorite film to date that I produced is The Citizen, which um, is available in this interview on Netflix. So let's talk about that one. The reason I want to bring that up is um, that was um, uh, Daily Variety mentioned it as a top 10 film at 2012 AFM, American Film Market. Um, Examiner.com, which is the UK's Hollywood Reporter, uh, named it a top 10 film in 2013 right up there with Gravity, Ultra Midi, American Hustle. So was, uh, that was pretty cool. <laughs> uh, the way I started producing was just learning. Um, I, again, I draw from my experience of Once Upon a Time in China and America, um, wherein I learned so much about handle crisis. Actually, let me tell you a short anecdote. Um, I did a little... Again, I, I wanted to learn as much as I could about the business, so I kept asking my boss at the time, Alex Ho, who was uh, Oliver Stone's producer. 
I said, well, I want, I want to invite a job. I want to learn something else. I want to learn something else. So one of the things he, he threw me into is a TV series called Wild Palms. And I asked for the most difficult job, which was, um, he said, work locations. I was like, sure, I'll do it. Of course, I didn't know I had to find 256 locations in <laughs> California. But um, one day, uh, back then, you could still smoke indoors. So Alex O is having a cigar with Jim Belushi. And he sees me checking wow. out the location. He sees me. I say, hey, boss, how you doing? And he says, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. So he goes, do you know what to do if there's a problem? I go, I'll call you? He goes, no, silly. Fix it. So that kind of stuck. And I figured out what he did as a producer. <laughs> so there was a problem. He would fix it. <laughs> and that's what right. he started. I started fixing problems, and, and every everybody noticed, I guess, and said, hey, you want to produce this? You want to produce that? That's pretty much um, the short and true version. Wow. That's that's intense. I mean, you, you work hard, and you get all these benefits from that. That's fantastic. You You go into your... Your your stunt work here, and and I can't imagine by looking at this that you you have to have a martial art background. Do you have a martial art background? You you have to. I have um, yeah, I have a little bit of martial arts, a little bit of dance. I wouldn't say I, I'd say jack of all trades, master of some. How's that? <laughs> well, what style did you did you prefer or did you gravitate towards? Uh, I started. This is um this is a wow. <laughs> I started learning kung fu. Uh I think I was like 8 and then my my shifu at the time sparred with a karate Shotokan guy got his butt kicked. So I was like, hmm, yeah. maybe I should learn karate. <laughs> so I'm not saying, you know, karate is better or kung fu is worse, it's just at the time my my teacher was not as good as the karate teacher. <clears throat> so I started learning yeah. Then uh, when you compete, you score a point and point stop. So it's like, okay, isn't that fun? Um, then I discovered boxing where, you know, you could actually wail at each other. Um, so I tried that. That was a lot of fun. Right. Claim to fame is um, got knocked out by George Foreman, sparring in his gym in Texas. Boy, that guy could You got knocked out by George <laughs> Foreman? Uh, knocked out. Let me rephrase the knocked out. I did get up. Split second later. I was just sparring, having fun, 16-ounce gloves. You got, you got hit in the face by George Foreman? Well, yeah, he was my neighbor when I lived in Texas. I, <laughs> I would I would pay money for that. I would pay money for George uh, Foreman to punch me in the face. That that seems like the most awesome thing in the universe. How did it feel? Or or how did it not feel when you woke up? Actually, I um, he was telling me, you know, I'm um, I'm like 50-something pounds heavier than you. You should not spar with me. Spar with my brother, Bob. I'm like, no, George, you're the champ. I just want to get in the ring with you. Yeah. So he goes, fine. So, you know, Bob and we and Bob went, bam. <laughs> I'm picking myself in cabinet. Okay, okay, now I know what it feels like. <clears throat> so it was, um, it was, yeah, it was pretty silly, I guess. And he was telling me, you know, if I really hit your heart, I could have killed you. I'm like, I know, but I wanted to. I wanted to uh, take your punch. Now I can say I took a heavyweight punch. It's amazing to know that human beings like that exist with that much power. It's like I, I can't imagine anything standing there and taking a hit like that. I mean, especially like a full blow hit from George Foreman. I mean, he's incredible. 
You know, the, yeah, well, I kind of, I kind of Bobby Whelan, I stepped in, I stepped into his punch. <laughs> you know, what a lot of people don't know about George Foreman. What I like, what I love about George Foreman is, if you've ever seen Rumble in the Jungle, which was Muhammad Ali and and George Foreman fighting in Africa, what a lot of people don't realize yeah. is that, right, is that that um, uh, George Foreman showed up with with uh, German shepherds. And a lot of people were 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 anti George Foreman. Were call, actually calling him an Uncle Tom, and he was very sad and he was crying at one point. And they're saying, you know, Muhammad, uh, you know, Bumbaye, Muhammad Bumbaye, saying, yeah, you know, all everything for Muhammad Ali. But what George Foreman didn't understand was that the dogs that he brought reminded them of the Africanos who conquered Africa, and that was right. just a sad thing to see because I'm such an admirer of George Foreman. That that he didn't understand, and his publicizers didn't understand that this would give him a bad image, and it gave him a bad image. But to 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 to, to this fact of today, he's one of our greatest boxers' representatives because he speaks on everybody's behalf. He's he's a happy guy. He makes money. Uh, he contrib he still contributes back. I like that guy a great deal. He is he's a very likable, affable person. That's awesome. That is All awesome. And you got hit George. by him, which is awesome. Well, yeah, we were sparring, and uh, I took a hit from him, and it was very strong. <laughs> That's awesome. So let's let's go into your let's go into your stunt work because there's there's just a, I mean, we can just bezel this stuff. I mean, you have James Bond, Everything or Nothing, the video game. You got Fight Club, the video game. State of Grace, the video game. True, I'm I'm gonna stay, I'm gonna stick to a couple. True Crime, New York City, which is a great game. Shadow Puppets, Spider Man Three, which I liked. Green Flash, Spider-Man, Web of Shadows, which you worked on with Sean Pacino, I'm pretty sure, right? Mm-hmm. And then yeah, I do Call of Duty, World at War. Yes. Um, so, and then you go in the Deadliest... And then we start going in the Deadliest Warrior area, where you played against William Wallace versus Shaka Zulu. You did the stunt choreography for that. Sean Pacino played William Wallace. Uh, how, how did you get involved with the Deadliest Warrior, and, and how was your experience on that show? Um, Deadliest Warrior was a very interesting show in the beginning. Um, I knew the, um, the executive producers, so they asked if uh, I would help them out with the pilot. Um, we did a pilot episode, which was, um, Ninja versus Spartan. So, to make a long story short, um, the pilot was a hit. Uh, Spike TV picked up the series, so we did one season and um, we were number one in our time slot. Um, unfortunately, I guess, um, TV is... Um, I, as you, if you look at my resume, I don't have that much television. I do mostly feature films and video games. Um, right. Interestingly, I've worked on a number one scripted TV series and a number one reality TV series, uh, Deadly Fire being the reality TV. Um, and... TV is a beautiful, wonderful, phenomenal world, but there's so much politics <laughs> mm-hmm. that they, the um, the network was actually saying, hey, you know, we're number one in our time slot. Um, can we reduce your budget and pay your guys less? We'll pay you the same. But, you know, we're wanting to help us save money. So I was like, no. You know, my guys um, went to bat for you. You know, we, we helped you get the pilot, which was number one, and then um, the first season was number one. 
and you want to reward, right. reward my guys as I say. So, like, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, needless to say, season two was a bit turbulent, and um, they didn't call me back for season three. Well, yeah. Oh, my guys. They obviously, lo- they obviously loved you. I mean, you did Gladiator versus Apache, Viking versus Samurai, Spartan versus Ninja, Pirate versus Knight, Yakuza versus Mafia. I know, that was, um, Green Beret that was versus... all season one. That's why we were we were number one season one. Not because of me, you know, it was mostly because of my guys, you know, like. And that's why I thought, you know, there's no integrity if if you're not going to take care of my guys. Hey, Noel, well, in, in any of these fights, did you feel like it could have, it, it should have gone the other way, like somebody should have won <laughs> over somebody else? <laughs> well, since the series is no longer, um, pretty much we we never really understood how they would. What we did is we filmed uh, both endings. We would film, um, yeah. you know, like for example, the the Spartan winning, and another um, possible ending with the ninja winning. And right. I guess somebody would throw darts, and uh, whoever whoever <laughs> would land it, <laughs> okay, this is going to win. So there was, um, we, we never really figured out how they did that. And then we found out, or we guessed, that, yeah, they just take a flip a coin, something like that. <laughs> I remember when I was asked about uh, uh, the samurai, uh, and I went, uh, the samurai, or the, the ninja would not win. And the question was, why would a Spartan win? A Spartan was born to kill you. Uh, these guys, even though in groups, are, are incredible warriors, and ninja was mostly meant to be with several other people, companions, assassins, mostly groups in twos and threes, while Spartans are supposed to actually uh, live through winter on their own and then kill wild beasts. So that was that was pretty insane. I very much loved those shows. Uh, my favorite ones were, of course, William Wallace. I love that one. I love the Gladiator mm-hmm. one. I love, the, I, really, I love the Pirate versus the Knight, because that made me laugh. Um, yeah, it was one of my favorite episodes. And Jesse versus Al Capone. Was that? I thought the Pirate vs. Knight was one of my favorite episodes as well. Yes. The Pirate vs. the Knight? Mm-hmm. It was in my mind that the Pirate would win because the Pirate has no ethics, no no moral <laughs> compass. So they're just going to be evil about certain things. But you you got... I mean, you got... More games coming out to this very moment. I mean, you've got Call of Duty Black Ops, which you did, UFC Personal Trainer, Prototype 2, Sleeping Dogs, Call of Duty Black Ops 2. Um, then, then we go into your 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 shorts and your films, like Friend Request, William the, the Magnificent, uh, a Divorce um, um, Invitation? Is that called Divorce Invitation? Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that's a that's great a name for a movie. I, that, <laughs> That totally caught me off guard when I when I read that. Is that divorce invitation? Am I reading that right? Yeah, that's that's, uh, that's so a romantic so comedy. You went, you went. Go ahead. And uh, it's also available on Netflix um, Instant View. Ah, we shot so that so you in went, LA. You went from, oh, you shot it in L.A. Oh, that's perfect then. So you see, so you went from the. So you call on from. They call you from these games. They like, like uh, Activision, and they call you in, and they have you do these stunt coordinations. I see these pictures of you with people with you know the shiny balls all over their bodies, and they're they're acting out the parts. And you go from that, and then you go from your next short or movie. How is that transition for you, where you almost have complete control over physical movement, and now you have almost complete control over 
visceral movements, talking, walking, that kind of thing. What is the difference to you, and, and, and how do you feel about those two projects being compared to each other? Well, I, I like balance, and the stunt world is basically physical. So it works out the body, and then the producing, the production managing, it works out the brain. So I, I enjoy it because there's good balance. Right. And, and when, you, when you're going on to your next project from, like, let's just say Call of Duty Black Ops, and then you're about to do, like, the Deadliest Warrior, what, what is, do you change the way you do the stunt choreography? Because I know that in the Deadliest Warrior, it's more about filming and what you visually can see. But Black Ops, it's more about, math, well, I would assume that a certain portion is about mathematics, because they have to be in certain places the cameras can catch them. But also the action has got to be appropriate. But also you have to think in the future of how it's going to look like in the game when it's when it's um, cinified or when it's when it's made into reality. So is there a stricter um, balance between uh, mocap and deadliest warrior? Um, I think it's all related. Um, primarily the choreography part. It's movement. Um, in in the case of movie and TV, it's what the camera sees. So you kind of move to favor the camera. But with video games, the movement is it's basically 360 degrees because it's um, it's motion capture, which um, multi-camera, so you can't really uh, mess up a little bit. But thank God, you know, it's technology, so we can fix things. Um, but it's basically it's basically movement and how you how you move to to the audience, whether it's a camera or right. it's a video game world. This is this is where the right. the variety of, of background comes in handy. So, right. right. So I was to give advice to get into my world, just learn as much as you can and have fun. Well, you you have a you have an expand. I mean, you have a pretty gigantic uh, resume, and I'm pretty sure that you've missed out at least 20 things in here that, that you have on your resume. If, if I was a young man in California or, or any other state, and I looked at your resume and I went, I, I want to I blueprint this guy's, you know, life. I, I, I want to do almost exactly what this guy does. He does exactly what I want. How, how can I do that? Well, what, what's the first thing I should do? Let's just say I'm, I'm in the eighth grade right now. And these are millennials now. See, the thing is that millennials are looking at us for advice. And what happened is with our generation is we forgot to give them advice. So when these young actors go out now, they act crazy. And they act insane. Uh, I grew up in Los Angeles. And, and seeing how the Hollywood look, looks now and how the Hollywood looks now is in, or before and how it looks now is, in, is insane to me. How, what would you say to a young person who's coming out to L.A. or New York on how they can follow your path and still have the, the calmness and the relaxedness that you, that you seem to have, the confidence and the, the, the empathy and the compassion? How, how can I get that? Um, first of all, I think what I would tell people, and I do tell people because I, I mentor, so I mentor uh, college kids, but I always tell them, you can always do better than I did. If I can do it, you can do it, and you can do it better. 
to prove me right. Mm. But then, you know, you can't just tell them to do things. You have to show them. So I, I try. Um, but I also challenge them because they have to learn to think for themselves. Right. And you always um, encourage do better, do do good. Right. I always tell them, don't, there's no need to work hard. Work smart. You know, I'm first-generation American. My my mother is Japanese and my father is Sicilian. And, and the, the great thing about being first-generation is you get the sense of, I don't want to work for somebody. I want to create something bigger or I want to do something myself. And you get that sense because you, you feel like your parents came to this country for a very specific reason. Because in their countries, they had their families, they had their friends. They had everything they needed to to exist within their realm of what they understood from child to death. Your your family are they are they are they first generation American are they are they from other countries Did you find that to be a value in your existence Tell me. Yes, it is actually technically we're third generation, uh, but I my family my my brothers and sisters weren't born here we're actually born in the Philippines and we're we're mostly Filipino. We have uh, Spanish and Chinese mix. Um, yes. But, yeah, but we're technically third generation because Grandpa was an officer in the U.S. Army, KIA. <laughs> and that's how we became American. But oh, so you're, you're part I, I know, yes, I'm, I'm at least half. But I understand what you're saying. Huh. Uh, actually, I think it's kind of cool when you are a hafa, as we call it, a half of something, half of something else. And the Asian-European mixture is definitely very unique. Um, right. Do you speak um, Italian? Parlotayani. Did you learn any Italian? Nihongo Hanazimaska, um, Japanese, or you just grew up right. speaking English? Right. No, I was asking you. I was asking you if you spoke Italian or Japanese and/or. I'm sorry. No, I was asking you if you spoke Japanese or Italian, being that you're half Japanese and Italian. Oh, do I speak it? Yes. Oh, I I can I I can understand Italian very well. I can understand European very well. My mother hid the Japanese perspective of our lives until we were a little bit older, twelve, thirteen years old. Even though I was ah. obsessed at the time, it's it's very weird about genetics because as a child, as a, I was obsessed with Asia, and my mother did not tell me one of the reasons why was uh, coming to America was a very complex thing when she was a child because of World War Two. So oh, they yeah. gave. Yeah, they gave certain fear factors in her existence to where it lived to this very day where she's still kind of scared, even though she's been in America for 60 years. Uh, it, it's still this kind of fear. A lot of Some of our family was stuck in the Manzanar camps, and you can find that down in downtown L.A. when you go out to the Pan, Pan American Museum. You'll see a lot of uh, Hawaiians, uh, not Hawaiians, I mean uh, Peruvians and Japanese people that were stuck in the Manzanar camps in California. So that's part of our history. Um, but yeah. I'm starting to get to know more Japanese now, uh, mostly because I have a radio show that aims in the Asian territory, like Malaysia, Philippines, Taiwan, Korea, Japan, and China. And also, that's my birthplace is in Fukushima. So my grandfather was born in Fukushima, but it's a it's a great birthplace. And I was uh, uh-huh. I was born and I was raised in a Filipino neighborhood called Atwater Village in uh-huh. uh, Los Angeles. So I grew up all around Filipinos, and I, I grew up, I grew up learning Tagalog when I was very very young. 
and knowing two two dishes that I love the most, which is pancet and chicken adobo. And those are the best dishes on the planet Earth. And I remember, Classics. you know, if Joyce Termiento is listening right now, uh, and I, I'm pretty sure she's not. But I remember I went to a grade school reunion, and her parents didn't like me when I was a kid, mostly because I was white. And um, I, I went by their house later on in our lives, and uh, I walked into their house. We were having a huge party, and they had four huge of those, um, what are they, uh, foil foil packets that are filled with pancet. One was vegetable, one was shrimp or, or, or fish. The other one was chicken. The other one was beef. And uh, I walked up to Joyce. I'm like, wow, this pancet is amazing, but it's full. Why isn't anybody eating? And she goes, oh, my parents made it for you. So I found <laughs> that very interesting that, you know, growing up in, in an immigrant neighborhood and being first generation American, uh, to the Filipinos and to everybody else, I was white. And to white people, I was not white. Uh, but when you get older, everybody understands that we're all Americans, and uh, the food just comes piling out. Absolutely. That's did you grow up with a lot? Filipino. Did you grow up with a lot of? Yeah, did you grow up with a lot of Filipino food or American food? Where did you grow up with? Um, I grew up. Yes, I grew up with Filipino food, Spanish food, and American food. I, I grew up in Madrid, uh, Manila, and New York. So that kind of. Awesome. Food. I'm on a, I'm awesome. on a seafood diet. I'm on a seafood diet. I see food, I eat it. Oh, really? How's that working <laughs> out for you? It's great, man. Seafood, eat food. <laughs> well, seafood no, uh, diet. I've been wanting... Go ahead and say it. Go ahead. I'm sorry? Go ahead. Go ahead, Noah. What were you saying? Oh, no, I was, I was just commenting that I was on a seafood diet. I see food, I eat food. <laughs> Well, Noah, I, I've been wanting you on for months now, and finally we coordinated you to get on here. I am so happy to have you on. Tell, tell me, looking at your resume, what, what is coming up next for, for Mr. Noel Vega? Uh, we, we see that Extinction is, has been announced. We see that In Embryo is in post-production. And then Jin, you being a stunt coordinator for that as well, we don't know if, the release date yet. Do you know the release date for Jin yet? Well, June uh, came and went already. It was released in April. Okay. Yeah, we um, we were released uh, right opposite Captain America, Winter Soldier, so I could tell you who won. So I would oh. wait for it on uh, DVD and Blu-ray <laughs> at this point. Oh, it's got Ray, it's got Ray Park in it. Yes. Nice. Little Ray. So you Serena the Swan, Ray Park, William Atherton, you got... Uh, Sybil Aldean, Farrah Tahir, Dominic Reigns. Uh, Ray Park plays Gabriel. That's going to be awesome. That's going to be awesome. So you got Jin there in Embryo. You did stunt coordinator, coordinator for that. Um, and then you have Extinction, and which has been announced. Are, are, are you getting ready to do that movie, or have you finished doing that movie? That's, uh, that's further down the line. We, do, we still have... Um... I think we might do certified um uh, first. Um that is gonna be directed by Billy Woodruff. Uh, um he did like um honey um drumline, you know, that guy. Good guy. Nice. So we might do certified you know, first. I do have um what? actually interestingly enough, uh I'd say about forty percent of people that work with me and hire me are foreigners. So I I should have 
a feature film filming soon in Las Vegas, actually. It's uh, kind of like the Indian Bollywood version of Step Up. So there's a lot of hip-hop and a lot of interesting choreography for that one. But that's probably going to be a first, uh, and then Certified might be early next year. And then we'll see what happens after that. Nice. Awesome, and, and we'll be seeing these things on on post on your Facebook as well, as well as updated on your IMDb. Am I correct? Yeah, I do have. Um, there's a Chinese movie that we did in New York. We shot in New York, and it's actually playing in theaters now. It's called uh, But Always, But Always. Um, it stars Nicholas Say. Nicholas Say is a huge, colossal, gigantic star in Hong Kong, China, and it's. Um, the Emperor uh, Group, Jackie Chan's company, is distributing it. So it's, it's playing in the U.S., mostly in Chinese-American um, areas like Alhambra, Monterey Park. Um, all around the country, there's a lot of Chinese. Just figured I'd plug that in there. Wow. Fantastic. I, I, can't, I cannot wait. So, Mr. Novega, how can we get in contact with you? After the show... Ladies and gentlemen, after the show, how can we get in touch with Alan Noah Vega? You can find him on IMDb. That's that's a very obvious one. And just type in Alan first with Noah Vega. But Mr. Mr. Vega, how can we catch you on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all those other avenues of 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 uh, social media? Um, best would probably be Facebook. So yeah, I'm on Facebook. If you want to friend me, feel free. Okay. Um, on IMDb, yeah, you know, my contact information is there too. Awesome. Awesome. And we're looking forward to your next projects. Uh, one of them being Jin, the other being In Embryo and Extinction. Uh, he's worked on so many other films, being stunt coordinator from producer, second unit director or assistant director, production manager, uh, actor, director, He's done a lot of great things, and uh, one one of the relationships that we have that we share together is Sean Piccinino, and uh, we, we know him quite well. And, and uh, uh, what a great guy uh, to have in our corner! I agree. I'm very Sean's happy phenomenal. that we're, we're... Sorry, say again now. He's phenomenal, wonderful human being. Yeah, he's a great guy. He's a great guy. I've known him for a very long time, as well as you have, and uh, and I I appreciate his friendship. So. You know, I, I loved having you on here today, Noah, and thank you so much for joining us today. I want to have you on in the future so we can talk more in depth about your career and more things that you're doing in the future. But at the moment, thank you so much for being on today, and God bless you, and have yourself a fantastic weekend. You too. Thank you for having me, and have a wonderful day. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Okay. All right, boys Bye. and girls, that was the great Noel Vega. Thank you very much for being on. Let's give another round of applause there. Like I said, Blog Talk Radio right now is going through a couple of little changes, so my audio is a, a little weird, so it was kind of difficult to hear, uh, kind of difficult to hear him talk, which was a darn shame because uh, he had a lot of great things to say, but I could hear most of it. Listen, boys and girls, I want you to remember this weekend that this weekend is about family. Be with your family and love your family. This, fa- this week, I had a, a death in the family, unfortunately. My grandfather, my, my wife's grandfather, passed away. 
I met him when my grandmother passed away. I won't tell you too much. It's not necessary, but I'll tell you this. I'm incredibly grateful in this life for getting what the universe believes that I've earned instead of the universe giving me what they believe that I deserve. And the same thing applies for a lot of other things. Grandpa's now gone. It's now the end of that reign of, of Grandma passed away a couple years ago, four or five years ago, and then Grandpa passed away just just three days ago. He died at 92 years old. He had a nice long life. He was able to speak to his family before he passed away. He's able to feel the love and compassion from his family before he passed away. So we're happy. And I want you to be happy too. Next week we're going to have another show. It's going to start Guy Grundy and one other person. I know I have them logged in somewhere. We'll have a great show. I wanted to have a show today just to share myself with you. Have a great day. Enjoy my weekend and, and celebrate. See, we can look at death two different ways. One is, oh my gosh, this is the worst thing that ever happened to me. The second way is, thank God I had this person in my life for as long as they've been in my life. And that's the way I want you to see this. I want you to see this as, thank God this person existed in my timeline. Thank God I got to hear this person speak. God bless you, sir. God bless you, Grandpa. It was good to know you. And I love you. And to all of you out there, thank you for listening in on a great show, Cinema Files Radio. We had a great, great couple guests today. We had Genevieve Gearhart. Genevieve Gearhart was a great personality. Loved listening to her. Loved talking to her. When the fever breaks. I can't wait to see her in that movie. Next movie after that. Great movie after that is... Genevieve... Genevieve Gearhart did uh, one of your breaks. Then we have Noel Vega. Check out Noel Vega on IMDb. You'll see all his stunt coordination. Anyways, I'm talking too much. Have yourself a great weekend. Love you very much, all of you. Thank you for joining us. God bless you. Have yourself a great weekend. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.